Alright, hello, greetings, <clears throat> the damned, welcome to Pod Damn America, the year finale episode, the uh, end of our first solid year as a podcast, um, it's gonna be a, a clip show, which is what they used to do in animation when they, uh, they, used to, they called it a cheater. And they wanted to make an episode, but they didn't want to actually make it. Just fill it with, you know, us all reminiscing, sitting around going, remember that time we all argued about Nanette? And then, blah, 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 and it uh, cuts to a clip of us arguing about Nanette. Um, that's what's going to happen. But actually, I'm not doing it to be a cheater. I'm actually, uh, there's a very specific reason that I put together a clip show for the end of the year. I'll explain. This is the uh, the end of like our our first year as a podcast. I'd say I started this show for people that are now listeners that haven't been uh, on since the very beginning when you know fucking five hundred people listen to the show or whatever. Um, started this uh, after Charlottesville when. Um, uh, like I guess I noticed a lot of the press that was going on around Charlottesville was very much like, um, you know, the teens are calling it Antifa or whatever. Um, <laughs> I thought um, I thought it would be interesting to use a platform that I had in terms of like social media followers and stuff uh, to just make a, like an informative, funny sort of uh, pillory against that the really shitty. Uh, narrative that's you know still being trotted out today uh <laughs> so i got you know some people together we uh, we'll put a little little history together a little history episode a little drunk history on uh where anti-fascist action and all that shit comes from and then um uh you know we did it a few times kind of rotating cast of people i was working with and the show uh, eventually kind of fell apart because um, as a creative type, I've always got like 10 different projects going, you know, and you never know which one's going to pop off. Uh, so you just kind of work diligently on all of them, you know. <clears throat> but I kind of put this show in the back burner for a while. Uh, and later that year, in December of last year, 2017, some pals of mine who you know, uh, we're kind of in the same place with their podcast, I think. It was called Left Gist, and uh, it was um, essentially my three co-hosts uh, who had a leftist kind of comedy podcast, and I think maybe they ran out of steam, you know, just working on it or whatever. I don't want to speak on behalf of them. I don't know exactly what happened, but I, uh, a couple of them kind of came to me and said, hey, you want to collaborate, maybe like smash these things together? Um, and we all sat down at a bar, we talked about it, and uh, we did that, right? So we said, okay, well, we'll give it a shot. You know, we'll start trying to make this this show happen and kind of put our creative forces together. And I think in that process, um, some good stuff sort of uh, galvanized, you know? Start to realize we've got this team of people. I've got a little bit of a social media following and shit. A uh, bunch of psychos know who I am from Cumtown and shit like that. Um, you know, I've got people who can get people in the door. Uh you know, I, I can host the show, promote it and stuff. And then it's like, you got Raghav Mehta. Raghav Mehta's like a, got a journalism background. He knows all these cool people, these smart people that we can 
interview on the show and stuff like that. He's a fucking funny comic, you know. Alex Patak's a maniac. He's hilarious. He can show up and be funny any fucking time. He's he's got a great brain for leftism too, you know. He teaches me all sorts of shit I didn't learn in college. Um, you know, Anders is um, a complete freak. Uh, I love him. <laughs> he's uh, he got an encyclopedic knowledge of the life and times of all these fucking weird you know third party candidates <laughs> um the uh, Ralph Nader uh people like that you know um <clears throat> he's a uh another really smart dude um you know so we've got all all got these like different sort of skills and backgrounds and stuff and we throw them together and try to make this show Pod Damn America happen right um so we started this in January of last year we just sort of started meeting in like um friend of mine's apartment because there wasn't any room in my fucking place at the time and uh <coughs> i had thought that um i don't know i had a good feeling about the new year oh boy was i wrong but i had a good feeling in the new years of 2017 because um if uh if you've never heard this story before i haven't really told it in uh, quite some time but it's vaguely referenced sometimes on our podcast and uh, just right about me in general, I had a bike uh, last year. It was fucking stolen. Uh, it was actually, I guess, a year and a half ago at this point. Over the summer, my bicycle was stolen. I fucking, you know, it's a piece of shit bike, but I used it to work. I'm a bicycle delivery person. Um, that's my day job. And, uh, you know, I, fuck, I, I cared for it, like, dearly. I made it by myself. I hand-painted it. Um, I painted it. Uh, matching, you know, with my girlfriend at the time. We made these spooky Halloween bikes and, um, you know, used it to just sort of, like, fucking do battle with New York City every day, you know. And it wasn't an expensive bike. It was a piece of shit. Uh, didn't really matter, but it had sentimental value because, like, I didn't even learn to ride a bike till I was, like, 25. Because <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, I was a shitty kid and a, a you know, just a fucked up uh, East Texas upbringing in the in the shitty streets of Houston. Um, missed a lot of stuff. Um, and you know, it was just like a secret of mine for a long time. I just tried to, I'll just avoid it until <laughs> until I grow up. And then when I was living in Austin, um, and thinking about moving to New York, my car fell apart, and I had to just buy a bicycle at um at a actually at uh for anyone in Austin. I bought my first bicycle at Austin Yellow Bike, uh, which is like a co-op, uh, which I think I've heard is like low-key anarchists. Um, but it's a bicycle co-op where you can, uh, first of all, you can do your um, community service there if you get in trouble with the fucking law, which is really cool. Community service then consists of like repairing bicycles for people and learning to fix bikes. And they sort of have these programs where if you hang out and you learn bike repair, you can build your own bike and take it it's very mutual aid it's very cool right um so i got a bike from uh yellow bike and then i at 25 years old just taught myself to ride it in the like parking lot of uh, some middle school you know a bunch of children probably laughing at me and shit um it fucking sucked right um (laughs) but i just i just threw myself into this parking lot and was like you know what i'm this is gonna happen or i'm you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna make it home, you know, uh, I'm just trying to force myself into the situation, and, you know, it was like, super embarrassing and cathartic and weird, but by the end of it, you know, I, I fucking made it home, and then, 
The next day, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll take it to work instead of taking the goddamn Metro bus that doesn't work in Texas very well, you know? So I started biking all over the city and shit. Lo and behold, 25 years old, I learned to ride a bike. And, uh, and because I was new at biking, even though I was a grown man, I was essentially like a child. Like, I fucking loved it. And I ended up, you know, getting really into bicycles and learning to, like, build them and work on them and stuff like that. So... I moved to New York with this bike, not the same one, I had a few get stolen, but this bike, uh, jokingly called Michael J. Fox for a long time, uh, joke kind of got worn out, but you get it, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I took it here, me and my friend David, we throw our bikes in the back of his truck, we drive fucking across the country, uh, move to New York, yeah, he, he takes off, um, if you came out and saw his band play, they called Too Bad, that was my friend David, me and him moved here together, um, I use this bike to survive in this fucking city, basically. Um, I would not be, you know, doing any of this shit or really making it in this city, I think, if I did not have this fucking bicycle, my trusty bike, right? So it got stolen a year and a half ago over the summer, and, um, you know, it sucks, but the reason I keep shitty bikes around and I use them is because they're disposable. They get stolen, you can get another one, right? Um, so I got another one. A friend of mine helped hook me up. Um, a couple friends of mine, actually. Um, Mishka Shubali, the merch fundraiser, threw me some cash. I gave it to uh, Nate from uh, WrestleSplania fame. Um, he gave me one of his old bikes. We all were happy, right? And uh, what happened after that is I, I rode his this bike uh, that I bought from him for work for a little bit, like six months. So New Year's Eve of last year, um, me and... Uh, and some friends and my ex or whatever were walking, <laughs> we're walking down fucking Wyckoff Street in Bushwick, and uh, you know it's over by like House of Yes, a crazy fucking weird uh, New Year's Eve Studio Fifty Four ish sort of of Montreal parties are happening all the time. We're walking past all this shit, and I'm in the middle of a sentence, and I'm like, yeah. So anyway, what the holy shit? That's my bike. I turned and I fucking saw my bicycle. Um, chained to a pole and i knew it was mine because i hand painted it um looks like a goddamn tiger you know so <clears throat> when this happened i uh i didn't know what to do i ran around i started going up to people and going, does anyone know who owns this bike you know this is my fucking bike right and i'm drunk already because it's new year's eve uh, and we were shit-faced at you know 7 p.m or something <coughs> um so i start going to people go oh does anyone know you know who owns this bike um yeah it's mine it's probably just stolen i just want to know where you got it yeah yeah. no one can tell me where this bike came from right um i go up i go up to a cop i go hey i I have it's my stolen bicycle you know the cop just fucking looks at me and goes like oh can you prove it's yours he asked me if i had a receipt i go no i made the bike can't you know go up to another cop i just look at him he just shakes his head like god fuck these fucking people like what what crime do you fight <laughs> literally solved the case for you and you know wouldn't even talk to me um you know all cops are beautiful as we say uh so all this happens i go into a bodega uh that it's sort of in front of i ask people no one knows anything like, okay fuck it there's uh there's cameras in front of this bodega right so i get an idea i run fucking two miles back to the restaurant where i work at the time grab the new bike that i have grab some markers and some tape and shit um i bike back there freezing fucking cold and what i did is i locked my new bicycle to my old one 
and to the pole at the same time, locked them all together, right? And I left a note, and the note said, hey, here's my phone number. Text me if you own this bike. Um, it's stolen. I'm not saying you stole it, but, you know, you. I just want to know who you got it from so I can, you know, figure out who the fuck stole my bike, right? Go up the, the chain there, right? Um, and I was planning on letting the person keep it. I just wanted to get some retribution, right? So I go out, I get drunk, New Year's Eve, yeah, 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 dumb bullshit, Twitter, um, a bunch of people standing around a kitchen uh, awkwardly as the fucking ball drops, oh, fucking 2018, uh, tw- fuck 2017, fuck, fuck 2017, right? All that shit, you're mad at a year, um, completely unaware that you're going to feel the exact same way in a one year. Um, all this happens, I wake up the next day, no phone call, right? And I'm like, god damn, well that sucks, you know? But, uh... You know, it's all locked together. That means they probably couldn't get their... They would have had to have snapped my chain to get their bike back. You see what I'm saying? It's all locked together via my chain, right? So I go to this fucking... To this street in front of House of Yes in the morning. And the note's gone. And their fucking chain is gone. They gave my shit back. <laughs> and, uh... It, like, they took their chain that they had used to lock the bike to the pole off. Rendering it all connected via my shit so then i take my chain off bam two bicycles right so i i got my stolen bicycle back last year this is maybe one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me right because that fucking never happens right and this was new year's day of 2018 new year's day right so that day i had a feeling it was going to be a good year i had a feeling it was going to be the year of fucking street justice all right (laughs) Um, it was a good omen for the year and, uh, you know, uh, mixed bag I'd say this year, <laughs> but, um, you know, but then shortly after that, we decided to start meeting and really working on the podcast and getting it together and getting a concept together and sort of going, you know, figuring out what this is going to look like. We're going to have these you know, deep dive episodes. We're going to have ones where we just do comedy shit and shoot the shit. Yeah, right. We're going to, um, try and put something out that, you know, that, will gain a sort of following and it will be like a, a product worthy of, you know, your $5, your Patreon subscription or whatever. Right. And it's going pretty well <clears throat> until, um, you know, just sort of chugging along. You know, projects go, you just kind of hit a wall where you start getting like, oh, all right, we got like a thousand listens a month or a week or whatever. What, what do we do? You know, and it starts, starts to go on the back burner again. Then in May of this year, um, you probably know if you're a listener to this show, I got my, uh, spot blown up by the department of Homeland security. And, uh, um, when this happened, <clears throat> I was able to, um, spin it into some gold. I think there's a, a person described luck to me a while back as a uh, luck is like the combination of the opportunity coming along and you being prepared for it. Right. That's luck. So I think that that's kind of what <laughs> happened because I've had, you know, I've had opportunities kind of come and go in my career as a comic, and it sucks when the, you, you go, oh, I probably could have capitalized on that a little more. I probably could have jumped on that. I probably could have got a job out of that. Sometimes they go. But this one, I thought, <laughs> I thought, um, okay, I think I know how to play this when it happened. Because, you know, if the government's going to fuck with me like this, I'm going to tell the story. I'm a fucking storyteller, you know, and I'm going to tell it to the right people and in the right way that it gets out there and you know a is a funny story and b you know we're able to to kind of get something uh, of political value out of it which i um you know i think i did um 
and I'm continuing to do as I am continuously watched by the world's most bored and confused Homeland Security agent um, having to learn all these gritty memes and shit. (laughs) Uh, Just join us, man. Or woman. Anyway. um, (laughs) So this happened, and then I uh, I hit up... uh, our friends over at Chapo Trap I was like, hey, I got a story for you, right? And we go tell the story, and then from there, um, well, before that, uh, Catherine Krieger from uh, uh, Splinter interviewed me, and um, then, you know, and Chapo, and, um, yeah, then it went a little viral, and uh, fucking made the rounds, did a bunch of podcasts and stuff, went on uh, the Majority Report, met all our friends over there, Michael Brooks, Antifadas, all those people, um, and then this, this show, you know, started to pick up a little traction, and from there, we've been able to grow into uh, something pretty healthy, I think. Looking at our numbers and the amount of people that I meet who you know come out to like live shows and stuff or just like DM me when I'm losing my mind with helpful advice and stuff like that. Um, I, this is like a, this is a, a base, like a fan base and like a following or just a community or whatever that I've, I've never really achieved as a comic. So I'm fucking stoked about it, you know? I kind of feel like I've finally hit... Uh, some level of like, okay, we, you know, this is now uh, this is now becoming a thing that is not just your your fucking open mic that you run that your five friends go to or whatever. So I feel really cool. I'm really happy with Pod Damn America, um, <laughs> but um, which is to say, oh, and the, the the reason that I'm doing this clip show here is because um, I feel very grateful to the guests that we've had come on this show throughout the course of. Our, our growth through our first year sort of becoming a thing. And I'm especially grateful to um, a lot of them that, you know, maybe uh, were in the earlier episodes before we really got the pop or, um, you know, or had to be kind of shuffled behind the paywall because we just make a certain amount of content and some stuff has to go back there or whatever. And so, like, as a thank you to everyone who's helped and come and contributed all of their wisdom and all this stuff and all their jokes and all this shit right to the show. Uh, I want to do like a like a best of and just sort of showcase all the cool people we've had come on the show and maybe some of our stuff too or whatever. Um, but yeah, because uh, I, I mean, you guys got this shit off the ground to begin with. And, um, you know, it's very cool. And uh, we couldn't have done it without you. So, you know, uh, all these people, by the way, you know, open invitation to come back on the show. We'll be obviously doing two a week of these for this fucking 2019 and beyond. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Thank you very much uh, for being on Pod Damn America, the goth socialist podcast. Another thing, <laughs> I fucking forgot about this. Another thing I should probably address is um, if you're listening and you're scratching your head at what the fuck is this goth socialist podcast, did joke that's been kind of um just made its way into the show's canon um <laughs> i kind of want to explain as long as we're here at a milestone you know a waypoint in the podcast where a lot of people are listening the goth thing the reason it became a thing as a bit is that when we first started to get some listeners um Matt Chrisman came on the show and he <laughs> he said oh you should call your fans dammers and we thought oh that's that's fun they're you know, it sounds like they're Quakers or some some weird, you know, turn of the century, um, <laughs> you know, like religious movement or something. Dammers. So we called the listeners dammers for a while. Because if you have a podcast, you have to call your listeners a thing. I don't know why. And um, 
I don't know, it wasn't really coming, it wasn't really sticking, right? And then, so I put, a, I went on their Twitter, and I did a poll. I said, <laughs> four options. What do you guys want to be called? Dammers, the damned, uh, damn fam, which was my personal <laughs> favorite, or something else. I don't even remember what the other one was. And uh, the fucking, by and large, the fan base at that time chose to be called the damned. <laughs> so I actually kind of liked it because I thought it was very intense and uh, not, it's just very, like, serious, you know? <laughs> the damned. Um, so I sort of started running with that joke. But um, also, but all, honestly, over the the months doing the show, um, I kind of realized that it's actually not a bad aesthetic at all for at least a lot of my sensibilities. And I think I had this in common with, like, Jamie over at Antifada, where, you know, the more we talked about it, because she also kind of refers to her shows, their shows as a goth socialist podcast is, is that like no I actually really do I do enjoy a lot of uh gothy sort of gothic aesthetic like I'm you know the type of person who wears primarily black clothing and uh I'm into certain types of music and you know one of those fucking Halloween people and shit um <laughs> but I feel a little it's a little funny because I feel like I dragged my other co-hosts into this concept uh, for uh, very much against their will um, look at these fucking guys. I mean, they <laughs> there are a lot of things, but they're not maybe uh, goth, I would say. <laughs> um, we got Raghav. Raghav is, uh, I'd say, actually, he's like a, um, uh, he's very into like Mitski and like Kate Bush and that sort of thing is where I would peg him. He's like a, uh, like a, like a cool, moody, like, uh, I mean, these guys from Minnesota, you know, like a, like a, what's the word? replacement sort of vibe um i don't know I, i'll have to ask him this on mic we should do a, like a, a roundabout discussion of what our var various aesthetics are um he's a very midwestern dude you know um same with anders um the only band i even know that he likes is why because he's a t-shirt uh and then you got alex who is uh quite the team player in this in that he's just started talking like uh, spooky, <laughs> like Vincent Price or the guy from Saturday Night Live, <coughs> as um, you know, this theme has sort of come together. <laughs> but um, but actually, in d exploring this niche and uh, this part of my mind, uh, at least, um, we met some cool other people that are kind of like uh, along the same lines here, like um, uh, the the people over at black banner podcast and stuff like that and uh you know i don't know uh, some people will have on in the future who i can't really name yet but i got i got a very exciting guest um lined up to talk about the dispossessed so uh any, anyway that's where that came from <laughs> i've met a few listeners who were like what the fuck is this count chocula shit that's what it is don't worry about it it doesn't really have anything to do with uh you know, the leftist bones of the show if you're just here for the political shit. Um, it's more just my sense of humor, okay? I'm into creepy crawly shit. Anyways, um, yeah. So that's, uh, I guess, my uh, state of the podcast speech or whatever for the end of 2018. Fuck 2018, man. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for listening so much, and um, I'm excited for a lot of the shit we have coming up in the new year. I will announce more of it uh, as the show continues and on the Twitter feed and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, possibly maybe we'll get a, you know, some sort of community together. If we, tr we try to figure out 
Well, the subreddit is the thing, so that's good. Thank you, Reasonable Skin, and all you fucking freaks. Um, you know, yeah, Facebook group. If you guys want to do that, and I don't know, uh, hit, hit me up. Tell me. Um, uh, oh, one last thing. So we are expanding a little bit, and I'm getting the show up on like, you know, we're on YouTube now, for example. So if you're one of those fucking people, if you're like a weird conservative guy that uh, you know takes videos himself in his car talking about individualism or fucking classical liberalism or whatever, or um, you know, the <laughs> you gotta respect the office. One of those people. Uh, if you're a YouTube person, we're on YouTube. So that'll be cool. But as I've been sort of uploading our show onto things like YouTube, and you know, probably this is going to be a thing with Spotify soon, I started to realize, oh, we got pinged a few times for, uh, you know, for just straight up um, stealing content, <laughs> like music and shit. So um, I have to probably stop just using like music. Um, I used a Billy Joel song in an episode, and yeah, they fucking there's a robot that that can tell you're using Billy Joel and comes after you. <laughs> Uh, what a, what a, what a Black Mirror episode we live in. There's a Billy Joel robot out there. So, um, because of that, because of that, um, I have to start using more, like, independent music or, um, using, you know, music from smaller bands and stuff like that or producing our own shit. Um, but if you listen to the show and you'd like, uh, to pitch us music, send me stuff to poddamamerica at gmail.com. Um, I'll listen to it, and if it's cool, I'll put it on the show, and I'll credit you and stuff, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes and all that stuff, and uh, yeah, we can do a little, you know, I'll, I'll get you some exposure uh, or get shit listened to, um, you know, we can we'll get to use the music that won't get us fucking uh raided by uh <laughs> fucking Billy Joel kicks in the door to my apartment, <laughs> and then we and then I really get taken away. To Long Island, um, yeah. So I don't know. Hit me up about that. We've already done it a couple times. Uh, Mr. Maxwell, um, some other people. Uh, and it's been really cool. So yeah, that might be a thing that we have to look into as we grow. So it's a good problem to have, right? Um, anyways, uh, yeah. Here's here's some cool people that have been on the show. I will intro them uh, as we go into their clips. But uh, thank you, the damned for all of your support and for helping us grow the damn show um, and for uh, talking to me as I went crazy last month. Um, all right, here we go. Lock them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America person present today this is not <laughs> you are excluded from this but i think that hannah's hannah gatsby's point of view did come from a white guilt perspective right mm -hmm. where i think when you add the addition of like despite the fact that she's queer and she's a woman there's still you're white right and we've all seen it last year of like white women voted for terrible people white women are helpers of colonialism <laughs> and horrible shit right so she is speaking from this point of where she's like i don't think 
that I'm doing any good by doing self-deprecating material that speaks badly about other women or about other queers or about uh, anything like that because she doesn't want to take the position of oppressor even for a second to make a joke. You understand me? I think those of us who are like you and like me and like your guests defending the fact that we get to make fun of this thing and are empowered through making fun of it are all speaking from the position of not having power and p speaking from the position of we didn't used to be allowed to talk about these things. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen White Chicks. <laughs> I've never seen White Chicks. <laughs> Listen, my comparisons range from White Chicks to Picasso. I will also, I will have everybody know I talked to comics about Picasso. Did he designed those masks on White well, Chicks, Picasso. <laughs> I don't even know. The facial. But uh, White Chicks, no, what was important about White Chicks that people don't realize is uh, it was the first instance ever in the history of humanity in which white women were represented by non-white people. For Whoa. sure. Yeah, it was the yeah. first blackface. Because think before that, but think about the fact that before that, a black young man, if he said anything in the direction of a white woman, it could literally mean you get lynched, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. All the way to we're literally putting on masks and mocking you and calling you Becky and saying this is what we see you all as. And that was the joke. That was the brilliance behind the movie, <laughs> was that, like, historically, this was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Forget Bechdel. I'm looking for the Wayans test. Yes, you know? exactly. I fucking love that movie. And the thing is, for years, I've been telling people about, like, I'm telling you, this is really important. So that's what I mean, is um, comedy does have that power that she wants to deny. I think what she's saying is that she doesn't want to have the responsibility of... Picking it up because like those dudes that went to the fucking old man hustle thing, all they were doing was thinking like being a comedian is just transgressing. And it's not. Being a comedian is transgressing in a way where they still like you after you do it and you're mm -hmm. able to pull them back and yeah. make them think about it. Well, you, you learn so much about tension. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> then we get into sounding like... The witch, the idea of the witch was kind of generated in large part by the church in the Middle Ages to sort of push uh, patriarchy and capitalism right like that's mm -hmm. that's not something yeah. there weren't that many self-identified practitioners of witchcraft or really any as far as i know it was just like an invented thing that they did to kind of yeah i mean a lot of them were midwives or healers who helped women have control over their own bodies and their own reproduction um, a lot of them were activists both against feudal oppression and against the beginnings of capitalism in favor of, you know, keeping community-held lands and things like that. Um, I haven't read the whole book, but Sylvia Federici wrote a really influential text called Caliban and the Witch, Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation, and makes a very good case for this uh, the, the preponderance of witch burnings across Europe to be a way of primitive accumulation via women's bodies women's reproductive systems, right? Because in the Marxist conception of capitalism, it's not just, it's like, why do some people own shit and some people have to work for them? Is it because the owners just like worked the hardest or like their ancestors did? No, it's because somewhere along the line at the beginning, someone decided to play by some new rules and do a thing called primitive accumulation where you take things that aren't yours, like either by expropriating commonly held land or by uh, doing settler colonialism on a new landmass full of people who you can dominate with guns, germs, and steel, or 
in the case of women's bodies, like the actual, the act of reproduction, because before capitalism or before, before agriculture, people tried to limit the number of kids that they had because they were traveling around and they were hunting and gathering. After agriculture, um, and especially after class society arose, um, people needed to have more kids because they would increase their production that way. And by that, they would generate a surplus. So that's the reason, going back uh, a number of years, why women were first sort of forced into these roles. This is not something that has existed throughout history. And that's a common misconception that people have. I don't believe it. And, and so, um, yeah, like the building trade unions, because like they benefit from all the construction going up in, in Seattle, like they're, well, one, historically building, building trades um, are, are especially reactionary, almost as reactionary as, as the police. Uh, so reactionary as in like conservative. And right. these are like unions against the people. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, and it culminated in, in uh, this, it, they, they, they were, they were really savvy. There was this one situation where, where when Amazon announced that because of the potential um, tax, they would, they were going to stop construction on a building. Like they had, like this, this was written up in the news, and like everyone, everyone was saying, "Oh, what are we gonna do? Amazon, Amazon is actually going to." Uh, Amazon is going to stop construction. Like there's so many jobs that are that are be, being created with that classic like like really shake shit up, get people scared because Amazon is is not is not supporting our economy type stuff. So like we we had a press conference, um, a public press conference, which was our first mistake. <laughs> we announced mm. it, and like uh, me and 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 Shama Swan and like a bunch of and a bunch of other people like we we show up right in front of the uh, in front of the Bezos balls they're called the An- Amazon spheres yeah. we like to call them the Bezos balls <laughs> yeah yeah um and we see all these dudes in in, in hard hats and it tu- and as soon as Shama like starts to speak Shama is one of the council members who's a socialist she's part of the socialist alternative she's she's great as, sh- as, stu- as soon as she starts to speak, we hear like the, just like all these dudes in hard hats saying, "No head tax, no head tax, no head tax." Of course, it was like maybe like twenty of them, and maybe there were like fifteen of us. But they, but the optics of it, just because like there were there were news people there, made it especially. W- like covering all these dudes in hard hats, like all together in hard hats, uh, okay. all yeah. part of the all part of like one one local of a steel of a steel workers union um, so they were actual steel workers there weren't a bunch of like data nerds wearing hard hats well really skinny the, the, here's the thing they, they were uh, they, protesting they circumcision they were they, <laughs> they were, were told the to hats. be there by their union boss who was leading the thing and so like it was classic business unionism like he was basically like we because we asked that one of the one of the just like construction people hey like like what why are you here like do you know what this is about they're like i don't i don't know why i'm here my i was just told to be here and i'm here so 
there so yeah. it's a it's a it's a classic situation where the rank and file union members aren't really like are are being told to do something and that it's a are are we the baddies that yeah. whole situation <laughs> exactly and so yeah like that's that um which is really sad because we had support from like so many other unions. We could have brought in bus drivers, teachers, and, and all sorts of people that supported the tax. Right. Mm. And, and we did like in during the public comment just a few days later, like at, at city hall. And so it's, it like, like some of those own goals that we, that we had, we, I, I wish we, it's time, uh, not even uh, until after the primaries, you know, they started beefing it up. Yeah. Uh, so, I got connected to the to the people running digital for uh, for burning, and uh, uh, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, Daniela was like, hey, Ricardo's doing amazing stuff. He he translated all of our fil- uh, field of burn things, and you know, you guys should use him. He's a he's a great dude, blah blah blah. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Well, you know, whatever you can help with, man, that's amazing. I was like, hey, bro, I have been sending you guys things that you guys have done <laughs> wrong for months, but fine. And uh, so. Eventually, I uh, I finished my Navy time, and I was free. Yeah. And I I did uh, everything I could for the campaign. I went, I had a there there wasn't a a, a freaking town hall with uh, with Telemundo and uh, Facebook, so it was all on Facebook, and people were submitting their their questions. And from from like seven o'clock to like nine o'clock, uh, Bernie was going to be answering the questions, and the, the answers would be typed in in English and I would be providing the Spanish translation, copy paste, put it all in there, the answers are there. Uh, so he answered like 20 questions right about of all the questions that were submitted. Uh, I, I went to the to the headquarters in, in DC and uh, that's where I met him, that's where we talked. We talked for like 45 minutes afterwards. It was, it was a really good experience. Uh, and eventually I, I came to find out that, that was my, my job interview. <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah, and uh, it was amazing. It was a great time, and uh, and that's how I I just got involved with the campaign, and then it started. You know, pretty much all my time was to work for the campaign. Sure. And uh, Bernie got like fourteen point two million votes in the primary, and uh, no, twelve million votes in the primary, I believe, and about four point two million of those votes were Latinos. Yeah, and. Uh, and uh, I, I'm glad, you know, I, I, I want to believe that I helped out, you know, in, in that process because a lot of the Latinos that voted for Bernie were first-time voters and a lot of young people uh, would be... Uh, one of the things that I, that I used, that I loved listening to or people just would contact me and be like, hey, man, somebody came to the office, this is the young cat holding one of, the, one of our paper, uh, one of our Spanish literatures, and we'd be like, hey, man, you guys did this, man, and you gave it to my mom. And she can't vote, but but you you did this for her, man. That's awesome. And, yeah. and so I'm voting for this guy, man. How can I help? And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that story would you know repeat over and over and over. And and, and showing that that inclusiveness, right? That that that, uh, that that we care about even those who don't who can't vote. I think that that what turned a lot of people in and uh, and and you know to help and to to participate in the campaign and be part of this this big movement. And I freaking loved it, man. And uh, and I, I remained uh, engaged all throughout, 
obviously eventually when we when we lost the primary then you know the process was to help and make sure that uh everybody you know came along and voted for the democratic candidate right, 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 right. Um, so about 92 percent of the latinos that voted for bernie went for hillary yeah sure that's amazing that's that's a huge number so a lot of people who tell you oh all those bernie or bust and all those bernie bros and whatever man it was like 80 percent of all bernie voters voted for hillary yeah water comes from northern california there is a lot of controversy since the time California was colonized by by white settlers um, about where the water goes and what it's used for. And we've completely drained huge areas of, of California that were fertile and are now not. And now Los Angeles is. Um, so you really can't just draw arbitrary lines throughout the state and say these are now three separate states because what you end up with is is. Uh, uh, the Bay Area, which is like pretty much fine in terms of water, uh, and then you get Northern California, which is full of flooding, and then you get Southern California, which is full of fires. So <laughs> it's just like if fire you, state, water state, land state. Yeah. It's like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need an air state. It was Bulbasaur County. That's the cloud, dude. Yeah, the cloud is the, just the air state, <laughs> the air version of the government. Yeah, um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. And there's a really good. I sent you this article from the Sacramento Bee. That's a good like primer on that as to like where the water comes from. But it just like no. If you divided California into three states two of them wouldn't have the means to support people, you know what I mean? And then yeah. one state would be exporting its water to another state and it would make it even more complicated and difficult than it already is, which is, let me emphasize, very bad. <laughs> Shit's real bad. And and carving up the state would only make it worse. I mean, literally, this is, this is called a war. There would be water wars. There were water wars in California. Yeah. Uh, like about 100 years ago. And like, they would just, so it would just come back. Start. I don't know if you know this, but humans need water. I uh, I've been drinking mostly uh, Miller High Life, <laughs> so you know w if they ever shut off where that comes from, yeah. then I'm gonna get real mad. Woo! Yeah, they're gonna privatize uh, one small. I mean, it'll be it'll be like the Vatican. The Miller Brewery <laughs> will be like the Vatican, where it is you know subject to its own set of laws. Yeah, and, and they give you huge tariffs on your shitty beer. <laughs> we'll have to make a weird noir movie about me taking up arms to yeah. to blow this whole thing wide open. Every every aspect of california that these fucking billionaires use to push the idea that california should and it's also it's not just billionaires it's also like it's a sort of a left-wing idea that california should secede or whatever you know that's a different the cal exit thing that's yeah. kind of different but like every every proposal like this just shows the massive ignorance of the people that live here towards like the history of the state and and how it actually works you know what i mean california doesn't work like any other state its resources are not evenly distributed its economy is way bigger than any other state like you just can't you can't just come in and be like i drew i drew tape down the middle of the room now that's your side like <laughs> fuck you dude like yeah. you don't understand well, a, a, a sitcom plot would be a fitting way to yeah. end the history of california it's like he's trying to create wacky neighbors yeah. but those wacky neighbors are going to murder each other or die of thirst like every, you know, California is profitable because of water we steal from the Colorado River. Like, <laughs> you know, all our agriculture, all our fucking, all that green, you know, what is it? The green wave, all the weed, mm -hmm. all the fucking almonds, everything you love about California. If there's no water, it's not there. Yeah. And also the, the SoundCloud rappers need water or they'll die. They do. And, you know, you need water to mix with your uh, soylent, I think, uh -huh. so that you can stay alive. You certainly need water to podcast. You need water to pod. Absolutely. A, a pot of water. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those little, like, bubbles? 
No. Oh, it's so fucked up. That sounds like, like some California shit, though. It's actually, it's Japanese. Fuck um, your bottled water. How about a circle of water? <laughs> it's more organic. <laughs> it's $10. It's free if you're at a music festival for some reason. <laughs> it's fucking cool. It's like made out of uh, cellulose, like seaweed, you know? It's like they're pioneering plastic alternatives. <laughs> and so it's like, it looks like, it straight up looks like a video game where you have like a big drop of water you hold in your hand. And cool. Then you can just go like, oh, and like, man. You got me with the video game shit. Yeah, it's really cool looking. All right, that's uh, sick. Yeah, if you look up videos online, it's it's dope. And so you can drink the, you know, the bottle. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say it was like, um, you ever get school lunches when you were a kid with just the uh, plastic bag full of yes. chocolate milk yeah. and like the, you know, the Capri Sun straw? Totally, yeah. Impossible situation no, no, for no. a that's, child. That's to, gross. That's yeah. not, you know. This is one where it's like you fucking you drink the pure clear water and then you drink the pure clear bottle oh, and you just are one oh, in the cloud, rules. man. All right, all right, you got. Uh, I mean, how would you describe this? Is it cloned? Is it synthetic? Like the the fish material you're making, does it solve this problem? <laughs> the hope is that it can solve a lot of these problems. So um, it isn't it isn't cloned. So what we're doing is is just imitating the exact process that goes on inside of a fish, outside of a fish. So we're pulling out the cell type that can grow out. Um, and it already exists. It exists inside of us. It exists inside of fish, but we're pulling them out from specific species. And the hope is that if we can take this and grow it outside of a fish instead of inside of it, that means that we can stop all these problems at the same time. Because the idea is that people would switch to this since, you know, our logic is people really care about how much their food costs and what it tastes like. And we're like, well, we're going to be cheaper and we're going to taste just as good or better because it is the exact same thing, even on a cellular level. It's not really... You know, it's not like a vegetarian replacement type thing. It's not like the Impossible Burger. It's like a real uh, chunk of meat. Now, what will you be doing and, for customers who are looking for the suffering in the food? <laughs> the, um, they can know that I work at the company. Hey. Oh, that's true. They can know that you have to clock in on Mondays. They can talk oh. to my ex-wife. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a podcast that's for men. That's you think I have to clock in on Mondays. <laughs> Uh. It was the Standing Rock Tribal Police that came in and arrested and raided and evicted the camp by order of the tribal chairman. So the chairman is the one that voted and signed off on his own tribal police under his jurisdiction to come in and kick everybody out after Trump had already greenlit the pipeline, which proves that that whole shit with Obama on December 4th was just um, performative at best. Why would he do that? Here's why. Here's why. So this is real interesting. Is Barack Obama, uh, he never came to Standing Rock during the Standing Rock movement, but he was there in 2014, two years before this movement ever started. He was there meeting with David Archambault, the tribal chairman, and David Archambault has a sister by the name of Jody Gillette Archambault, right? This is the tribal chairman's sister. Uh-huh. So she's really interesting because uh, she graduated from Dartmouth in 1992 and has been uh, she received a Bush Foundation fellowship and uh, started working for the United States government, uh, part of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The Bureau of Indian Affairs is a subdivision of the Department of Interior, right, which is like, you know, the Department of Interior's. Uh, yeah. There, uh, um, so, right. This woman, Jody Gillette Archambault, the tribal chairman's sister. Uh, worked in the Obama administration and Barack Obama personally created a position in his White House for her. She was the first ever White House liaison to the tribes. She was appointed this position in 2011. This is 
six, five years before the Standing Rock movement even happened. Right. So she's appointed to this position in Obama's White House in 2011. In 2014, uh, her brother becomes the tribal chairman in Standing... Or 2013, her brother becomes the tribal chairman in Standing Rock on a pro-oil platform. In 2014, Obama comes to the Standing Rock Reservation on which looks like a tour where he's shaking hands and kissing babies, right? He says, and I quote, I love the Standing Rock Reservation and the R. Shambolt family. Okay, but do it in the voice. I can't. I'm not going to do a Brock voice. (laughs) So he says that in 2014, right? And then flash forward to two years later, um, the movement started in April of 2016. Obama says nothing. People are attacked by dogs, shot with water cannons, um, you know, tear gassed, rubber bullets, all these terrible things. And Obama still says and does nothing. And, the only, and, and this is a guy that was at that reservation of all reservations two years prior. Right. He created a position for the tribal chairman's sister in his own White House. Like, he created that position just for her. <laughs> and he did nothing until December 4th, after Trump had already been elected, who was pro-oil. So he could come in and act like he was the hero, right. knowing that it wasn't going to go through. And, and, like, what did they talk about in 2014? Detective on There's a lot of crazy case, characters yeah. in this case, and one of them would be Detective Gregory Pemberton. No, so please tell me about the he, weird cops. He was the one that was handed the Veritas information and yeah. fucking is pretty much responsible for why uh, the prosecutor, Jennifer Kirkhoff, was in the position that she was in. Mind so, you that he yeah. has been retweeting Project Veritas and other yeah. right-wing organizations for years. So the, the, and he talks about... Black Lives Matter leftist thugs on Twitter. So like, so you can understand this how this guy's guy a thinks. fan. Of, yeah. This guy's a fan of 4chan and like the the poll aspects of the the alt right. Oh yeah, he's, he's an alt cops. he's an alt right cop. Yeah. It was like literally, and like this was the guy that was hired, paid full time, a year and a half to work. Excuse me, to work on this case. So like, the the top cop that they ch- the, decided to like be their like lead investigator is a f- like fucking Nazi adjacent. So, <laughs> right. So like as soon as the defense like pulled all this shit out, he showed all his tweets with all the fucking Nazi stuff and like Yeah. People are mad that Roseanne had like a TV show, but this is like if she was like the chief of chief, police, chief of police. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and believed so in Pizzagate and shit. And, like so yeah, so and like every day in court this guy's coming in and like there's like rumors that like there was a an affair, a, a affair between him and the the prosecutor. Ew. <laughs> 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 it's just crazy shit. That, that was another thing. Like Kirkhoff, Kirkhoff wanted to get all these like fucking like she wanted to pull this anonymity shit with the police witnesses and stuff. Like fear of like backlash. Mind you, like a week after the fucking arrests, like all the J twenty defendants were doxed by Nazis because yep. the MPD leaked their information to the fucking Nazi groups. Right. So like, so yeah, she's like claiming all this thing, and she claims that uh, she was s- sent a note to her home that read, "Come fuck me." Sorry, give me Cuba statement. It just shows how like she probably made it up. Like, who gives a? F- like, it's ridiculous. It's like all the trying to paint herself as like, oh, I'm being this embattled. Uh, when I was just kind of starting out my career as a writer, I had like every 18 year old boy like a real like Hunter S. Thompson fetish, uh, except I was too neurotic to do drugs or anything. Uh, and uh, I wanted to write a story on neo-Nazi uh, clubhouses that I heard about in this wheat belt town in Western Australia called uh, Wagen. Uh, and <laughs> it's got the second highest suicide rate in the country at the time. Uh, mm. I had cousins that lived a town over, uh, a town called Narragin, and I was hanging out 
with my mate Noel, and I was like, oh, he was like, hey, I know some guys that have a neo-Nazi clubhouse in like an old <laughs> uh, old uh, sheep shed uh, out in the bush, and uh, takes me out there, and it's like. That kind of thing, uh, your cool friends, terrifying older brothers. Like, that was the vibe. You, like, open this, like, corrugated iron shed uh, where they used to shear sheep that's now, like, rusty. And it's just, like, these kind of, like, fat, neck-beated kind of neo-Nazi types. So that classic, like, 2008 era of Reddit Nazi. Yeah. You know? Uh, and they've just got, like, the white nationalist flags. They've got, like, swastikas, and they have, like, random, like, like SS and, like, skulls. So like, pre, like, Trumpy MAGA guys. Yeah, like exactly. Really. So they didn't have the nice haircuts. No, no, no. This okay. is so and, oh, well, skinheads? Yes. Well, they're, like, bush skinheads. Like, this is, like, hardcore rural Western Australia. So okay. this is, like, guys that could be running, like, a violent cold compound kind of thing. So, like, the movie Green Room. That yeah, a little bit okay. like that. A little bit like that, but not uh, that good looking. Okay. <laughs> like, just, like, methed out dudes who, like, live in a place where if you don't, like, you either kill yourself or you leave uh, or you inherit your dad's yeah. farm. Like, that's the, the it. The guys from the uh, True Detective meth farm. Yeah, more like that. Yeah, definitely okay. more like that. And they're all just, like, sitting around listening to, like, hardcore like thrash metal or whatever and i'm just like this terrified little nerd who's like very virginal and innocent at the time uh there with my like very benevolent saintly friend and get talking to these guys and i think it was like an hour in uh i got drunk incredibly quickly drinking their like bootleg whiskey or whatever it was uh and i just just start winding this guy up as i do because i'm used to like doing interviews where I just shit stir people. Yeah. And then... You decided to do this with the angry white supremacists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, they must have been, like... I guess I was 18. Like, they must have been maybe in their mid-30s. Fuck, I don't really even know. But I'm talking, and then it's just like, ow! Like, ah, fuck! Like a sudden, like, searing pain underneath my left rib. And the dude has just, like, stabbed me with a box cutter. Ah... <laughs> uh, and it's not like I don't have you can't even see a scar or anything like that and it's not like it was like near my organs but that part of your rib that's incredibly ticklish yeah. that's where it got me like right underneath there oh so it tickles yeah it tickled like <laughs> hell I was just laughing all the way to the bank um but then immediately like I was just like a shot of pain like fuck I'm gonna like black out or have a panic attack it was this feeling of like it was just like this surreal feeling of like you stabbed me yeah uh, do you, you kind of like realize you were stabbed a moment after i was imagining you, like, I, yeah you like shot, i was so like, manic and like i'm the kind of person that'll like keep talking and then look down and be like, oh, oh <laughs> i'm bleeding to death like kind of thing but then my friend again he's like the loveliest guy and at the time he looked like a lumberjack he just like decked this guy hoisted me over his shoulders and uh like ran us through the paddock, <laughs> jumped the fence, and like what a hero! Got us the yeah, oh, no, yeah, I got so many stories with that guy. Just my carried you like through that. the woods. Um, yeah, he was like, "Oh, sorry, man, you those guys from high school." I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "That's a really good question." I, you know, it's it's funny when I when I wrote this article for the Nation, um, which came out I think back in February, and um, I got a lot of email and like you know comments on twitter and stuff about it from people and it was really interesting because the article i don't ever address people as consumers in the article i talk mm. i put amazon in the context of you know a company that rose to this kind of power because our antitrust laws have failed and i talked about what we need to do to 
uh, adjust those laws. And so I was addressing readers entirely as citizens uh, in the context of that article. But what was fascinating is that people who wrote to me overwhelmingly would say things like, I'm going to cancel my Prime account. Let's boycott Amazon. I'm going to try to stop shopping there. And those are all worthwhile things to do. I mean, put your money to businesses that actually support your local community and that create good jobs where you live. Like that's I wholeheartedly endorse that, but I think the idea that a boycott would actually work or would be possible or that the solution here is consumer action, like I don't think it's on us as consumers to fix this. I think it's on us as citizens to fix this. And I think partly part of how we got into this mess with corporate consolidation and, and just you know how many industries are now controlled by a few companies that are so ginormous that they you know, they control our politics, they control Congress. I mean, you know, it's like we're living in this kind of increasingly this sort of form of corporate dictatorship. Um, and the reason that part of how we've gotten there is that we've acquiesced to this idea that our power in the economy as, as is as consumers, um, that, you know, when we want to like try to affect change, we think about our shopping choices. And, you know, when you're, when you're shopping, it's like, you're not, you're not very powerful. Like you can pick between like I'm Pepsi and Coke. I'm <laughs> you know, I you can pick sort, between. <laughs> high to low option and everything. No, I'm just kidding. I entirely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. You know, our citizen muscle is way more powerful. Corporations just don't want us to find it. And so I think here it's like, I don't want a boycott. I want people to, like, go to their member of Congress. I want, like, you know, packing uh, hearings and getting journalists to write about this. I want us to act as citizens. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's um... a little something for mommy. I'm sure all the women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. You seem a little bit too confident uh, for the people you're speaking on behalf wow. of you imagine just like if you, you, <laughs> you just, know, I, lo- I love getting i love getting home and just having a good fuck session to the movie cars <laughs> 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 yes i'm sure everyone found uh there's a know, lot of shrek porn out there <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure everyone found donkey as sexual as i did <laughs> i went to every I went time to the, i went to the party dressed as shrek i'm sure all the ladies were, <laughs> were loving it <laughs> yeah. we're all familiar with famed sex icons Sad from Inside Out. <laughs> or sadness okay, from Inside no, come Out. Come on, that's like I'm sure all that's the like ladies. my entire wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I sh- I'm sure all the ladies who have it's watched Inside Out. <laughs> I'm sure all the ladies who have watched Mr. Hands uh, were turned on by my horse costume with me and Peter Thiel in the back. <laughs> Um. <laughs> anyway, you know, fuck that guy. Um, Electric horse yeah, shout out Elon Musk. <laughs> so Elon Musk also tweeted out this Wasn't week a threat. that he. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, we gotta be careful doing uh, yeah, yeah. fucking hip hop guns on this show. DHS is gonna have a fun time with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But but uh, we're gonna have a hard violent. time leaving the country next week. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a really easy time leaving the country. Um. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite, like, sort of sleeper tweets that Trump did a while back was getting yeah. super upset about elephants being taken out of the circus. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> that, like, their sales have gone down. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to try to find it. <laughs> oh, man. Folks, these majestic creatures, they eat peanuts. Where are they now? You don't get to see them. They're out living in some field. They're balancing on balls for free, people. They <laughs> Not just do smart. it. They just do it. Not smart. Leaving money on the table. There's a lot of money to be made off of elephants on balls. <laughs> I have spent $5 million on paintings by elephants. <laughs> 
Um, is, is this real? Yeah. Okay, real Donald Trump. Ringling Brothers is phasing out their elephants. I, for one, will never go again. They probably use the animal rights stuff to reduce costs. <laughs> <laughs> That's from 2015. <laughs> Holy shit. That was like when he was running for president. I will fix. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find it because... Uh, if you search his at and then elephants right now, it's just nothing but people that are furious at Melania for having gone to, um, like, Egypt. I'm sorry, he did a follow-up tweet to it in 2016. In 2016, <laughs> at Ringling Bros is retiring their elephants. The circus will never be the same. Oh, man. He's so bummed out. <laughs> Oh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Watching an elephant try to kill itself. Prince, <laughs> like, there. I'm not someone who thinks he's infallible, and in fact, I think he should have been more strategic about this. But I think he's like stubbornly principled. I think that's like something that's actually not good. Is yeah. what's good about him is that he says the same thing. You could play like a continual tape from 1970 to now, and he's making the same points, which is admirable. But I, I usually I think works he, against most old people. Right, because he's but he's so progressive. <laughs> I think oh, yeah. I think his main problem is that he has an inability to uh, to explain the message of um, how what he's talking about with economic justice then yeah. translates to social yes. justice and the reason racial, he has racial justice the, yeah. in racial justice and all these these identity politics yeah. things right and the reason he doesn't have that skill set is because that's a extremely like 2010 to yeah. now like concept we all just learned that also like, he i think that's true i also think he's his directness in itself like i don't think it's limited to that he doesn't sugarcoat things now i agree with you he could do a better job but it's also the media is like out there um Looking for him to... Like, so, what, you know, th this famous thing where he talked about how we have to move beyond identity politics. He literally was saying that they are they are necessary but not sufficient. That's That was his hot take. Yeah. They are necessary but not sufficient. The media made it sound like he was saying we don't need them at all. Like, they're not even necessary. And those are two very different things. I agree with you, but I also think that, like, no matter what he says, it's like he could... Like, when he said uh, um, we need Hillary... When Hillary was like touring on bashing him and talking about what happened um he was like we need hillary's help like he wouldn't bash her back and he was basically in a nice way being like come on we need you to help defeat trump yeah people were like fuck you sanders like you don't get to i think i tweeted as a joke i was like what? this misogynist wagging his finger telling her what to do <laughs> and like i think jen kirk Kirk Kirkman, oh, Kirkman. Yeah. but she's like it's crazy. But she friend was friend like, of the show. Yeah, yeah I think she, <laughs> she told him to like fuck himself with a chainsaw or something. She told him to yeah. Oh uh, god, which is very she's a storyteller. But um, <laughs> I have, we have a long-standing. Uh, I've talked about this before, but I have a I have planned to contact Jen Kirkman and tell her that I'm uh, in the the brochelist podcast world and that um, there's a lot of Putin infiltration going on. <laughs> and if I oh, yeah. if she could help me spread the world. Chaos, word, yeah. Well, but the thing that drives me crazy, by the way, about the sexism, Bernie Hillary stuff is that I will get into I know it's just Twitter, but it, Twitter is still a window into where people's souls would be if they had them. But <laughs> I will get into fights with people on Twitter and they'll yeah, say <laughs> that Bernie is bad on women's issues. And I'll ask them why, what policy, and they will say his finger wagging 
and his dismissing Planned Parenthood as establishment organizations. And I'm like, okay, so it's not policy. Let's just be honest about it. And I pretend that I'm okay with it just being those two things. I'm not. I think that's bullshit. But for argument's sake and to be diplomatic, I'll be like, okay, I get it. We don't. It doesn't have to be about policy. But yeah. let's just be. So let's just be precise. So it's not the policy. It's discourse. And I'm like, discourse is politics. Sure. Um, very sort of left-leaning, some of them DSA-endorsed politicians who are putting out climate plans that actually are sort of at the scale of the problem, or at least approaching it. And so um, all of those folks have called for a Green New Deal, so to create sort of massive employment um, projects to do some of the things we need to do on climate, like electrify huge parts of our grid, um, scale up renewable energy. Hmm? A war on planes. A war on planes, yeah. Oh, well, plane, the way you described <laughs> it in uh, one of these articles was like uh, the, the military footing for America going into World War II is like a controlled economy where everyone's making ships all of a sudden, and we need to be doing that for solar panels. Last year, um, I, I support the idea so much, and I would just love to see it catch on any more than it is right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting because, right, like there – may theoretically reach some point in which the GOP and which very conservative actors are just unable to continue pretending this isn't a problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once we have like horrible hurricanes hitting New York and like major centers of capital every year, um, which More is a thing that could happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, once it threatens capital, like people will come around. And so I think one uh, one sort of path way to confront that is like a sort of egalitarian redistributive approach, which is like we preempt some of this stuff. We understand that this is coming and we act to prevent it. The other is a totally sort of dystopian like hellscape in which like Republicans control the answer to the problem and just like expand ICE to be the entire U.S. military mm -hmm. um, and sort of you know, block climate refugees at the door will be the largest uh, mass migration in human history potentially. Um, so imagining Republicans dealing with that is sort of horrifying to think about. Um, and so there are, you know, I think that we will reach a point when um, people are doing things about climate and whether that's something that's good and, you know, is better for most people in the country or whether that's something totally horrifying and awful. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting to hear. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there, there are these people and there's about, a handful of them that are sort of isolated and interviewed in this documentary that are really into making these haunted houses. There's their various uh, wives and husbands who are referred to. They all have like in-group. Um, I think they're, they're called haunt widows. They're called haunt widows. Yeah. 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 They have all this. So we're, it, it is kind There's, of about a subculture. It's because so much jargon. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the reason why we all really got like connected to it because like replace ha haunting with comedy and it's like a story yeah. about our lives. Yeah. Pretty much. It really is. It's a parallel really easily. And the, it was a bit of a mirror. Because it's such a like a niche thing, it's like easy to watch and go like, oh, look at these psychos. But then like you start to compare it to other more niche things that you're into, and it's like, wow, why do I know what a fucking street joke is? Or right. like, yeah, yeah. Why do I know the borscht belts? Why do yeah. I know like yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like not it's like you know how how many stones can you throw? Like one of the good uh one of the good in inside um, references or uh, the the vocabulary that they use. Jargon, yeah. They uh, they keep using the term boo scare. Yeah, scare. yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, it, the haunted house. Really, you go from boo scare to blackout. That's really the scale. <laughs> That's like their one liner. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's a boo yeah. scare. It's a boo, yeah, yeah, a boo yeah, scale yeah. is a one liner. It's just like <laughs> haha, and the blackout is a one woman show or a one man one person show. Yeah, yeah like and Nanette it, is a blackout. <laughs> <laughs>
what liberalism does is is it essentially what it is is a project of uprooting uh, the, the liberalism takes the feudal subject who is embedded in a and he is not defined by his identity or himself. He's, he's defined by his relationships. He's defined by a web of connections to other people. He is holistic. The liberal subject is an individual, is a monad, is unconnected to others, has no other uh, definition other than his, his own, has no, there's no way that uh, connections to others increase any sort of sense of reality for that person. That person is fully defined as, a, by, as an individual being. That's what liberalism says. It, 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 it power washes, like imagine a bunch of uh, uh, ball bearings and they're covered in like cake dirt and mud. And the mud is our connections to other people and institutions and systems of belief and the things that make us full human. Liberalism is basically a fucking giant hose that says that, no, those connections don't make you who you are. You are a self-contained being. You, you are not connected to others in any meaningful sense. And then what liberal political theory is, is it at base, it is a figuring out how to make these individuals that can no longer relate to one another by context, can only relate to one another as individuals who have no other outside context. How can they relate to one another in a way that doesn't lead to death for everything? A cooperative existence. Liberalism is how to negotiate the distance between people that liberalism created in the first place. Yeah. Transactions. Um, yes, yes. It's, it, turns, it turns human relationships, all human relationships, into transactions. Yes. And that, does not, that is the difference between that and the feudal subject. And so that is the world that liberalism and conservatism and fascism, all these things, and also communism, come from. Is that de, the, the demystification of the self created by the, the, the uprooting from feudal traditions. What I would say is liberalism does not see you as stones held together by mud. They see you as individual stones being sprayed with the hose and then put into my bucket. I sell stones. Yes, exactly. I'm starting a stone business. <laughs> it turns and us it doesn't all sound like there's a big turnaround, but there actually is if you go to the right places where they don't have stones. Because if you don't have human connections, the only way to resolve a conflict between total strangers that are alienated from each other's existences is through combat and through conflict. And liberalism says, well, that's not workable everyone will eventually be destroyed in you know ragnarok you have to negotiate these transactions and the distances and that's what liberalism does it creates the institutions for that that is why the one uh the most parasitic and vital uh petty bourgeois profession that glommed onto capitalism as it broke from feudalism is the legal trade it's mm. it's law because law is what grew to fill in the spaces left by the erosion of social ties because you need law to negotiate these new relationships between strangers that have no understanding of obligation to one another. That, is the, 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 that transmission, the, the language of it is law. And so that's why I always find it funny for the people who want to say, oh, Marx's concept of the French Revolution as a class war of the bourgeois is wrong because most of them weren't merchants. A lot, most of them were lawyers. Obviously, <laughs> because being that is the most vital profession to the creation of of a liberal state because you have to figure out how all of these strangers, all these people who are so implicitly holding guns on each other in a constant, unwake, just waking uh, Mexican standoff, how Actually, can they lower the guns and, and deal with one another? That's what the legal system and that's what liberalism created. Yeah, well said. Um, and I think that that individualistic nature of it is also something that in America right now is um, people don't really understand that as the enemy because because it is a stepping stone from, uh, you know, moving from feudalism to then, you know, ho ho 
hopefully eventually getting to a more collective thing, but because it's this halfway point that was sort of developed by, you know, people that then wanted to, you know, still maintain their own power, um, it's it's still, um, it's, it's anti-solidarity in a lot of ways. And you still, it's really funny because when you watch like a Pepsi commercial or something, what do they tell you? They tell you, this is all about you, you know? Pepsi is about you and your experience. Right. and are and these fucking music festivals and you know Capital One trying to tell you you know you have some personal relationship with your credit card that makes it about you and these things are all we I think arrived at it, at celebrating that um, you know as a really basic American value as um, a byproduct of us getting away from solidarity and and, and any way being connected you know not being atomized like they're trying to tell you being atomized being individual separate from each other is somehow virtue that's why people fall for it they're like i'm capital one all this time (laughs) it's like a video game i worked at the store it's like a video game it is a fantasy of endless interaction and control over a universe that's what they sell you and then you spend your whole life being brutally constrained in ways you can never see but you're still interacting as though it were this limitless fantasy that the, the the pseudo version of it sold you and right. the, I, you're I'm, just capital yeah yeah i might pose people. i might pose though that uh liberalism for it it's time that time was still a, a i think we can say positive step yes in the oh right no direction. a positive yeah. and necessary it, step yeah has it, to be assumed right and because it, communism grows out of liberalism absolutely but so you can't yeah you can't break apart the two movements and One there are things the about individualism and the individual that we don't have to necessarily reject yes, we can bring absolutely. that as like that yeah that is a growth a good positive growth out of the enlightenment but mm-hmm. it can go too far hyper individualism exactly. devil's exactly. advocate exactly. let's bring kings back <laughs> we can't mend what's broken there i don't you mean can't. like ceo kings i mean like king Th- kings those connections kings. cannot be re- rebuilt you have to deal with the individuals we've created. This bag, the bag of marbles. We yeah. can't really I mean, we're not just get them back together. King Solomon all so of a sudden. we can take the most humanistic strand of liberalism to emerge from it. The the, 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 root, the thing that came out, you know, fascism and classical liberalism and neoliberalism. They all sprouted out, and then socialism sprouted out, and that is the most humane of the salute. The dealing with the crisis of creating liberalism in the first place, it's the most humane, it's the best solution. So we should embrace it as such, as the, as the most humanizing version of a liberal world. That's what it is. And the Pokemon evolutions of the superstructure, <laughs> socialism alone has the Firestone. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, the heart. It literally is the only one of the heart. Because it's the one that centers humans. Which in Pokemon is very valuable. Because it's the one, that, the because the one that centers humans meaning anything. Because it's the one that is defined by human terms. Because the alienated version, the liberal version, the Nazi version, the neoliberal version, atomizes that and destroys it. And so you don't have that heart anymore. You only relate to each other as theoretical beings who mean nothing to you because their suffering is not your suffering. So you can allow anything to happen to them. And that fatal undermining of trust and solidarity between people eventually, under pressure, obliterates the whole project. So the heart is what you need. Is yes. that humanism that only socialism can can reproduce out of the fabric that was destroyed by the end of feudalism it's the only thing that can reproduce the only vital strand that came before the thing that made humanity and existence and life possible all right that was uh year one of pod damn america everyone i hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane some good stuff in there um couldn't fit it all in because there was a goddamn good year there's a lot of good shit in there but uh those were a lot of the guests that i really appreciated all of our homies that we've made uh, throughout the year. 
Um, so thank you, and thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more of this stuff and hear some of the, the, the other stuff that maybe didn't make it on here, smash that Patreon button on patreon.com slash America. That's how you can support the show and get access to all of our bonus stuff if you can't get enough goddamn podcast. Um, yeah, that's it. I should plug a couple of things before I get finished up here um i'm going on tour philadelphia i'll be at the good good comedy theater on january 11th that's the, the closest out of town thing i have coming up uh, and then after that uh atlanta new orleans lafayette maybe new orleans for my birthday if anyone's in new orleans come hang out i'll put all the info up soon i'll be in fucking houston austin i'll be recording an album in austin i'm uh doing some shows with mishka shubali in texas in the southwest and then i'll be opening for Patton oswalt in uh greenville and jacksonville after that a lot of cool stuff i'll have the the whole poster the art up everything up soon uh please check that out if you live in brooklyn um and you're coming out to these shows we're doing at el cortez the next yoko i've got a secret headliner a mystery headliner a huge headliner that uh just for a lot of times legal reasons you can't advertise or whatever just because it fucks up people's draw so come hang out um watch some cool stand up we got a bunch of great guests this week and uh i'm not crazy this week so it'll be more put together last time if you came out uh if you guys missed it we had fucking judah friedlander it was awesome i just didn't have a a time to hype it because i was you know in the fucking mental hospital um But, uh, but Judah Friedlander is fucking hilarious, and hopefully we'll get him on the show soon. Um, cause he's got good politics, by the way. I don't know if you can tell. But, um, yeah, so check out Yoko. Also, th- thanks if you came on uh, Boxing Day to my show with my buddies Too Bad. Um, I, I, hopefully I wasn't too drunk. I don't know. Sometimes you're on stage and you're like, wait, what? How did I get up here? Um, <laughs> I remember I was just yelling my own name because one of the other bands got really into doing that i kind of stole their move jake flores all right um anyways anyways guys this is it this is year one pod damn america thank you so much for supporting the show thank you so much for listening thank you so much for being the damned happy new year hopefully this helped you on your hungover commute to work or whatever the hell you're doing today uh happy new year's the damned happy new year's everyone and uh and a boo scare to us all play me out (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.